Let's have prayer together. Gracious Father in heaven, we just do exalt your name. We praise you that we can come together tonight to seek your direction from your word and ask, Lord, that you just might guide us by your Holy Spirit tonight. May you use this mere instrument of clay to relay the communication of your word and your truth to these, my precious brothers and sisters. And Lord, in all things, we'll give you thanks for it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Amen. Again, if you haven't gotten this book, uh, I would encourage you to get it. Um, it has so many rich thoughts in it. And like I said, any book that you have, and you read, other than the Word of God, you're going to disagree with some. Well, <laughs> maybe I ought to preface that by saying, sometimes we disagree with what we read in the Word, too, because we don't want to hear it. But this book, you, you might disagree with some things, uh, but have an open mind and read it, because it is, is very good. I think it will really challenge you. Uh, so, anyway, tonight, our second session, what we want to look at tonight is... Uh, Last time we, we looked at the situation of the word that today, the lack of relevancy in the Christian life. Tonight, I want to just, in between the two big challenges, I want us to look at a few servants, and uh, particularly, I'm just looking at two passages of Scripture, but we could look at all kinds of individuals uh, who showed relevant Christianity. In fact, that's the question I want to ask you tonight. Who in Scripture would you say displayed to you a most relevant Christian life? Who would you say in the scripture just kind of displayed to you what relevant Christianity is all about? Who would you say it was? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah, Jeremiah. I wouldn't have wanted to be where he was at. He didn't have anybody, anybody follow him, no converts to the knowledge that we have. Joseph, oh yes, a picture of Christ, yes, Joseph. Joseph was definitely one that, when you realize what he went through, and to end in chapter 50 of Genesis, to hear him say, when his brothers were going, oh boy, Jacob's dead now, we're in trouble. I'd say Job also. Job, yeah, Job was good. Are we having all J's here? <laughs> Barnabas, yes, the guy who wrote uh, Hebrews. Right? Yeah, well, that's what I think did. We can definitely say I don't think it was Paul. No, well, here's why. I don't think it was Paul. I'll tell you later why I don't think it was Paul. What's this? We know what his name means. Yeah, encourager. Yep. Any others? Any others? Well, we're going to look at some other different ones. We're going to look particularly in the... Uh, one book of the Bible that is not a doctrinal book. Now, there's doctrine in it, but it's not a doctrinal book. It's the book of Acts. Acts is a transitional book, more from uh, the Old Testament covenant into what you're seeing as a new covenant because you're establishing the church. Uh, so we're going to look at that together tonight. But I want to share from the book that I've exhorted you to get, the, the Good Faith. It made this quote, the number of people who identify themselves as Christians is declining. It's not increasing. It's declining. In fact, they go on to say this, those who attend worship service monthly, <laughs> monthly, and say faith is very important in their lives, listen to the digression here, okay? Here it is. Baby boomers, baby boomers, 45%, 45%, say that they are Christians, 
and that they go to a worship service monthly and they say that their faith is very important. Compared to Generation X, which my son would be a part of, Generation X, they have 42%. 42%. But unfortunately, the last one they tell about here is the millennials. 36%. Only 36%. That would be, are you a, you're a, a millennial or not? I'd be the general iron millennial. Okay. okay. But the millennials, 30%, that's awful. 36% is all. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. That's why, that's why Christianity is declining. So, what is it that's happened? I believe what we're seeing is our faith is not being lived out day by day. Not lived out. We need to see Christ like faith presented to everybody. And how do we do it? By preaching at him? No, by living it. Living it, witnessing, sharing our faith. The one statement that's always caught me in the book of Acts that they said about the apostles, they marveled that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they were uneducated. They didn't have a PhD. They didn't have any of that. What did they have? They had been with Jesus. <laughs> they had been with Jesus. So I, I like to say, I mean, the first minister that God gave me the opportunity to work with, a uh, senior pastor in, in uh, Princeton, West Virginia, was a self-taught man. But I'll tell you, he taught me so much, so much about ministry. Uh, because he what? He lived it. And this guy, this guy went for over 10 years every week. Jimmy, I hate to say, I don't usually use his last name because you have bad things when I say this name. Jimmy Jones. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Jimmy, preacher Jimmy went golfing with a guy who owned grocery stores in Princeton, West Virginia. He went golfing with him every week for at least 10 years. And all the time he was golfing, he was witnessing to him. Alan was his name. He witnessed Alan over and over again. And finally, Alan trusted Christ as a savior. And Alan became a deacon in the church, became a faithful giver to the church, and was just involved. Why? Because preacher Jimmy lived it out in front of them. So we need to have more of this transpiring in our lives be like that marvel that they had been with Jesus. Take your Bibles and come with me to the first servants or servants I want you to look at. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is right next door to Acts 3. And right before Acts 5. It's on page <laughs> no, not if you have this Bible. It's, okay. All right. But I want you to focus with me on verses 32 through 37. Chapter 4, 32 through 37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that, that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them to each and anyone in need. 
And Joseph said, was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we go. What is it in that passage? What stands out to you right away? What stands out to you right away in that passage? <coughs> what would you say stands out to you? What stands out? I think it's the fact that there were no needy. No needy. No one was in need. No needy. That's good. They were one heart and one soul, so they were in unity. There was unity there. You saw my notes, didn't you, Linda? No. Okay. What else? Was, what else do you observe there? Sharing. There was a sharing. A mutual respect, right? Everyone was in the same situation, right? Trust. Oh, clearly. There was a trust factor there. Yeah. Anything else? Belief. All right. Well, we can put it with the trust there. Belief, yeah. But look at these things. Now, let's investigate the church today. Do we have a lot of needy? Yeah. In the church, there's a lot of needy, isn't there? What are we doing? Sometimes we become blind, don't we? We don't even look at it, right? Don't even consider it. We say somebody else will do it, right? Somebody else will care. Unity. <laughs> That's a joke, isn't it? Huh? Unity today, in some ways. Sharing with one another. We're more this way, aren't we? It's not common. Entire. Not common. No, it isn't. And so if there's not a sharing, there's not a respect there either. And if there's not a respect, there's not trust. So, all right. Let's look at authentic faith. What was it in this passage particularly, these individuals, the church there, as you see this group of believers gathering together, what was it? And, and Linda, you have the first one I have here. I believe they showed authentic Christianity by a visible unity. A visible unity. Now it says the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Faith and I have the opportunity of uh, traveling in our work that we're doing now. And a church in, in an area in Tennessee, I'm not going to tell you where, but an area in Tennessee within a one mile distance, five churches, just one mile. Can you imagine what those five churches would be able to do if they were one? Think of that. What could they accomplish? Greater than just the five, individually. But something has caused them to what? Separate. The church today, the greatest growth in the church today is transfer, not transformation. Transfer. Go from one church to the other. I call them professional church hoppers. <laughs> And there's ones that are like that, aren't there? Yeah. Paul criticized the church of Corinth for that, didn't he? Come on in, Brother David. Uh, somebody get notes for Brother David there? Good to see you. I've been in every place in the church looking for Oh, were you? I'm sorry. Catch what he said. He's talking to the church of Corinth, 
and he says, here's what you're doing. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And then there was the super spiritual ones. I am of Christ. <laughs> I don't believe it was because they were more Christ-like. I just believe that they were saying, uh, we're more like him than you are. Straight on. Yeah. So it's sad. You know what's happened? The churches have now lost the vision and they're content with division. Isn't that right? They've lost the vision and they're caught up in just division. But it's not new. <laughs> it was there in Corinth, wasn't it? And Paul is addressing it. Particularly in the first Corinthians, he addresses a lot of issues, doesn't he? He addresses the issue of that division. He addresses the issue of being babes and not mature. He addresses the fact of immorality going on. He addresses those issues, doesn't he? And he addresses even the fact of utilizing the gifts that God gives us and saying this gift is greater than this gift. And God says that's not the case. So. But notice a second thing from this passage that I believe shows relevant Christianity. Not just the unity that was predominant there, but notice also true relevant Christianity is unparalleled as far as meeting the needs of others. Unparalleled. I, I don't think we see it anyplace else. Neither did, catch this, anyone say that any of the things being possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. Things in common. Let's look at the church today. We now are content to allow the government to meet the needs of the church and the people, right? Aren't we? And most churches today have signed an agreement with the government, whether they think so or not, to get a status. Am I right? What's the status? Do we have to file that? Really? Because according to the Constitution, according to the Constitution, do I have freedom in the church here to do what I want with my money and giving it to the church or something? Do I have that? But the government told us, told us, this is what you have to do. And that means then I have to be careful what I say in the pulpit. Because the government can strip that from us. And we have become, guess what, subject to the government, whether we think so or not. And what you say could bring up on a hate crime, such as uh, uh, adultery. You know, Deuteronomy says it's an abomination. My home church, or not my home <coughs> church, my home state of Pennsylvania has a law on the books that if someone in a church or anywhere gets up and speaks against homosexuality, they can, if somebody says something about it, they can put that person or that preacher in jail. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. Pretty sad, isn't it? But not only are we doing that, we're allowing the church to vacate moral standards. The government is designed for this purpose, civil law. Not designed for moral law. Where was the moral law to come from? Right? And from the church, who is living out what? The word. The church is to be living out the word, and as a result of that, what are they supposed to be doing? And what is the word? Jesus. Yeah, the truth. Yeah. So we're, we're allowing it not only to meet supposed needs, but moral standards. Also, social assistance, right? We're allowing the, the, the government to do it rather than the church. And what's happened is the church has vacated 
It's responsibility. How can we be seen as really showing the love of Christ? I am excited about, uh, you know, love and deed, which we have done for eight years, going on nine. And when people I know, they'll come up and they'll say, how much do we have to give for this, the food or whatever? And you say, nothing. We just want to show the love of Christ. You realize that's not happening everywhere. You pay for what you get, right? And they're going, hey, this, this isn't right. And now I'm even more excited. And three other guys here are going, yeah, I'm excited too. I'm more excited about Love Indeed 365. Because Love Indeed is a ministry that is what? We're reaching a community that's great. But Love Indeed 365 is a mission where you are as a missionary, right? Living out relevant Christianity. And so it's important. What did uh, James profess? Listen to this in, James, in the book of James. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And I like to say the world system. I want to keep myself unspotted from what? The world system. It contaminates the body of Christ, doesn't it? So, the unity, unparalleled meeting of needs, right? Nobody had to go, I don't have anything to eat. They were providing it, weren't they? Providing it. If you go to Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, they have a choice of a meal. Beans and rice, or rice and beans. That's it. I have never seen poverty like that. Brother, have you been in Haiti? Uh, yeah, one time. Okay. You, you can't, if you've never been to Haiti, you can't wrap your brain around poverty like that. Uh, to me, poverty is South Philadelphia. That's what I saw as poverty. Growing up as a kid, I saw that. But Haiti, I went, I've never seen anything like this. People that were hungry didn't have anything to eat. People, children who were willing to carry a book or do, carry a bag for somebody just to get a dollar. One little boy said to us this. He was asked, money for food, money for food. This was his response. What did you have to eat today? Nothing. My daddy told me that I ate yesterday, so it's my brother's turn today. Can you imagine telling your child, you ate yesterday, your brother needs to eat today? Man, the church is missing opportunities to be used of God in meeting those needs. There's a third thing I see in this text. What I want to call unstoppable beliefs. We have people today in the church that have stoppable beliefs. <laughs> they stop dead in their tracks. Oh, okay. I, I don't believe in, in preaching religion. I'm not talking about preaching religion. I'm talking about living out your faith. Beliefs. Notice what it says here. With great power, the apostles gave witness or gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. <laughs> I love that. Great grace. Not just grace. Great grace. Abundant grace. Where sin abound, what? Grace abounded more, right? And so he's saying here, the grace that was all upon them. But what was it? Unstoppable beliefs. They had experienced 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. He had once been with them, taught them, went to the cross, died, was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He arose. And it became an unstoppable belief to them, didn't it? Because what's the one doctrine they talk about here? They testified to the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Didn't Paul write about that? Sure he did. Chapter 15. But the 21st century Christian is caught up more in empty, self-centered opinions, and they don't have the great power nor the great grace. If you don't mind, I'm going to share a personal testimony a little bit. You can pray for me. Since my fall last Friday, not this Friday, Friday a week ago, and my heart situation, finding out that I have probably had more AFibs than I thought, it scared me. And I have had this week, sitting in my chair, and I am just like this, I'm anxious. And I'm feeling the, anx the anxiety. <clears throat> and I've had to battle with the adversary, because God is not the author of fear. But I had to say, God, worry is a sin. And I'm sinning when I'm doing that. And Lord, Psalm 103, verse 19 says, Your throne is in heaven, and you rule in sovereignty. <laughs> so in other words, think about it. I could have fallen over on Stadium Drive. I could have passed out on the railroad tracks. Because I crossed railroad tracks, one of the walks. I could have. But he had me drop over one door from my house. Why? So that I could go to the hospital and find out more information. That's what I believe all of us need to do. We have experiences of what? Seeing how God has worked in our lives. People might not believe what we say to them, but they will believe what we tell we've experienced. Right? They can't deny what we've experienced, can they? If you've experienced the resurrected Christ in your life, you've, you've experienced God showing His great grace to you. If you've experienced God showing that, that power in your life, that great power from on high in your life, in and through you, guess what? They can't refute that. They can't. The reason we're seeing a lack of relevant Christianity is because we're not doing that today. We ought to take every opportunity. I don't know how many times you hear pastors say, anybody have a testimony? And here's the testimonies you get. Well, back 30 years ago, I came to know Jesus Christ. My Savior. And that's wonderful. Praise God. But what is he doing now? I don't want to hear stale news. I want to hear updated news. That's where it's relevant. That's where it's relevant. Well, let's go to the second servant I want you to look at. Move a few chapters over to Acts 7. Acts 7. One of my favorite Bible characters here. Acts 7, 54 through 60. Acts 7, 54 through 60. And when they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. 
Now, have you ever pictured what they were doing? I mean, thank goodness they didn't have dentures because they probably had him fall on the ground. But they went over and were starting to bite him. I mean, do you hear this? Do you see what it's saying here? I mean, I'm taking it literally. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. So what did it say here? It says that they gnashed at him with their teeth. I mean, they look like a pack of wolves, of dogs, right? And these were ungodly people, right? No, these were religious people. The catches. And he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Amen. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Man, he was experiencing something good, wasn't he? And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. Now, they're putting a temper tantrum on now. You know, like kids do. And then it says, and they ran at him with one accord. There was unity there, but a different kind. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become who? Paul. And who would say in Philippians chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching on those things which are before. What was he saying? I'm getting away from that horrible event that I experienced with Stephen. And then it says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, The Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He didn't just die. He fell asleep, right? I like that, don't you? I like that fact. That, that's right. It was exactly, almost exactly like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Now, you might think, Patrick, that I was a part of this, but I wasn't. In the 1730s and the 1740s, it was known as the First Awakening. In fact, the First Great Awakening. It saw manifested a, a, real, a revitalization of a movement that made Christianity personal, both for the average person in the pew and the people in the street. There were such exceptional preachers as this, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Feeney. They preached to large crowds. Now, did you notice John Wesley was an Arminian? George Whitfield was a Reformed. And guess what? They were after the same goal, weren't they? They preached the simple gospel. They preached the importance of repentance. And they preached the need of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, which would profoundly change lives. And there was a great awakening. We haven't seen anything like that since, really. In Acts 7, Stephen is observed addressing a hostile crowd of people. Would you agree with me? It was a hostile crowd? Okay. And this servant was not facing a hostile crowd that didn't know anything about God. This was a crowd that was saying, you are wrong in what you believe. And we're going to take you to task for it. 
What happened? He was going to be executed for his message. But was he relevant? Why would you say, like me, I hope, that his message was relevant? Tell me why. Give me some reasons. Why was his message relevant? Ah, very good. It was full of the Spirit. Yeah. He was filled with the Spirit. They certainly weren't. Well, they were filled with another Spirit, but it wasn't, wasn't the Spirit of God. What else stands out? He don't. spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. And most people don't want to hear the truth. He spoke the truth. He didn't compromise it. Do we compromise today the truth? Let's be honest. The church today. I'm not saying here. I wouldn't be here at this church if I, if I felt that the truth was being compromised. I wouldn't be here. He spoke scripture. And today, we're having a fluff. It's not relevant. So, anything else stands out? He had a real faith, didn't he? Think about it. He said, I see what? The Son of Man standing there. Woo! And he called out to God. My goodness. Who was one that was standing there listening to that? Who? Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. He would be transformed on the road of Damascus. And that man would never forget what he saw as relevant Christianity with a man named Stephen. Stephen is not, was not an apostle. <laughs> he was just a deacon, right? <laughs> He was just a deacon, but he was a deacon that was relevant. Let's look at some things I believe are even more important to see here. Stephen aroused conviction through what he believed. He aroused conviction. It says this, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Have you ever been cut to the heart? You ever been cut to the heart? I told you about worry that I was been dealing with. This morning I got on the internet, as I do each morning, and a man that uh, I've come to know, Mark Mertzer, he has a prayer ministry, and uh, guess what he had on there as a, a video? <laughs> the sin of worry. The audacity of him to have that. But I hid it to hear what he had to say. Because what? It cut me to heart. Does the word of God still cut you to heart? Or have you become numb? If you're in the hospital, there's two things I found out about hospital. You cannot sleep in hospital, and you don't get fed well. I lost three and a half pounds in two days. I was debating about chewing on the plate. <laughs> but you know what? The reason you don't have any sleep is because they come in at four in the morning and say, okay, I need to take your blood pressure. Can I turn the light on? Oh, yeah, sure, turn the light on. Yeah, turn the light on. And then they come back in at six o'clock and want to do some other things for you, take some blood, you know. What? They're not there to make you comfortable. If you come to church to be comfortable, if you come to church to be comfortable, then you've not come to the right place. Because you ought to be just like here. You ought to be aroused by conviction. I want to be convicted. Don't you? 
about some area in my life or your area in your life saying, hey, this is not right before God? Stephen did that. But nowadays, what's happening? Emotional highs. <laughs> That's what preaching is all about today. A feel-good response. Instead of what? Being convinced of the truth. And the truth pricks hearts. It arouses conviction. Notice the second thing with Stephen's message. It depicted a spiritual ascent, a movement forward, upward. Catch this. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory, or better there, the excellency of God. Terry, I will never forget, and I cherish this thought that you shared with me years ago. When he's having his quiet time sometimes, he said, the way that God starts really dealing with my heart is I just cry out, holy, holy, holy. What was he saying? To acknowledge the excellency of God. That's it. I heard you. There's times that I've done that, Terry. Because what a truth, you know. Isn't that why there ought to be other believers around us to what? Make us have an aroused of conviction and to be ascending to what? An upward movement. Not a downward, but an upward movement. But yet today, I hate to say it, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that. We're seeing self-gratification. What's uh, one of the most important reasons to pray? So I can talk to God. <laughs> no. There you go. Thank you. When I pray, when you pray, our fo focus ought to be in bringing glorification to God and not self-gratification. But today, relevant Christianity is not there because what? We want self-gratification, not glorification for God. Move to a third item quickly. In Stephen's account that we have here in Acts 7, his approach to truth brought extreme anger. It brought extreme anger, like you and I hopefully will never experience. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord. Wow. They ran at him. Do you know what? His audience was seeking what a lot want to do today. They want to silence the messenger. If we can silence the messenger, their concept is this. If we silence the messenger, then the message will stop. Did the message of Jesus Christ stop when they ran on him and they, they did what? Eventually killed him? Did, did that stop the message? They got rid of the messenger. But did the message of a resurrected Christ, did the message of repentance still stand? Did the gospel still spread? Yeah! Just because you get rid of a messenger doesn't mean that the message will stop. Because Jesus has given the message. And he uses messengers. This guy that's standing up here tonight is a mere messenger. That's it. Nothing more than that. Just a messenger. With a powerful message. And not because of me. But of him. We have that powerful message. That's what God wants us to see. That we have that same message that Stephen had. And many times we're going to have people get angry at us. They're going to get angry. Have anybody ever had somebody angry at you? Yeah. Because they don't want to hear the message. They might not go like this and go, ah, I don't want to hear it. They might not do that. 
But you can see by the glazed look on their eyes, like this, they don't want to hear it. Or you can see them do this. And what are they saying? I don't want to hear anymore. That's why. Because they want to get rid of the messenger. But the message is still going to be there. As far as the modern church, I, I, I don't want to say it this way, and if I'm, I'm offending you, so be it. The church today has lost its spiritual backbone. We're yellow, just like your shirt. We're yellow. We've turned coward. We're not like Stephen. We have forsook the thing which makes the real difference, the message of Christ. We've forsaken that. And there's a problem. And that problem is not going to be taken care of until we go back to the roots of where we came from. Right here. This is what we have to do. Relevant Christianity. But I want you to notice Stephen's faith, his relevant Christianity, led to his assassination, didn't it? They stoned Stephen as he was calling out to God. They stoned him. January 8, 1956, Nate Saint. I actually knew his brother, David Saint, went to my home church in Pennsylvania. But Nate Saint and four others were killed attempting to evangelize the Inca Indians in Ecuador. They landed the plane, they met where they were supposed to meet, and guess what? They were all killed. As followers of Christ today, let's search our hearts. Are we willing to lay down our lives right now for Jesus Christ? Is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so real to us that if someone wanted to silence us, we'd be willing to die? That's a very sobering thought, isn't it? Would I be willing? North Korea, at one time, the school students would stand and hold their belts, and they would say this, Kill de Gaulle. I hate America. What has that done to North Korea people? Not all of them, not all. But what, what has that done? Tell me. The Gaul's dead now, but do they still hate America? Because they were fed the untruth, weren't they? That's sad. And we're seeing a church today that is not feeding them truth, a truth that is worth dying for. You willing to die for this? What this says here? Are you willing to put your life on the line? We all have to ask that question. Am I willing? If it comes to that, and I got to tell you, unless things change, unless we see a great awakening in America, we are slowly losing what we think we've gained. We are. You can live in Oblivia land, and I can live in Oblivia land, but I'm being honest, I don't think we're long from being persecuted, not just criticized, not just mocked. But I mean persecuted like Stephen. It's very possible that we could face death. Well, 
What issue do you think is mainly going to be involved? What I would hope it would be, I would hope it would be because of what we're preaching, the truth. We're living out what we believe. But I think it's going to come to just differences between liberals, uh, excuse me, progressives, and conservatives. I think it's going to become that. And that's not necessarily the, the crutch of the whole thing. It isn't. But we've made it that. There's a division. The United States is divided right now. And most likely, it's going to go against conservatives. And particularly, if you are a right-wing conservative, that means you're a fundamentalist, you're, you're sentenced. Well, they have the technology for the computer chip. Oh, yeah. It's there. Yeah. So, But let, let me look at a fifth thing here. Stephen's walk with the Lord was made relevant by him having a willingness to appropriate himself as a means to eventually have the message of Christ evidenced. He appropriated himself by saying what? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You hear that? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I don't know about you, but that's an example of Christ-like love. That's what Jesus said, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Stephen, who believed in the living Christ, said something similar, didn't he? He looked over that crowd, and he looked up to heaven, and he said, God, don't lay this into their charge. Whew. Where we might say what? <clears throat> Sick them, right? Sick them, get them. <laughs> Christ wants to produce the extraordinary in you and me. That's what he wants to do. And yet the church today would rather avoid offending people. They would rather just desire to adapt to the culture of the day and not offend. They want to fade into the spiritual background. Stephen didn't do that, did he? In church history, Stephen is what? Revered, isn't he? Not a lot said here except for the message that he preached. He preached a powerful message, didn't he? I mean, you go down, you, you look at the message he preached to them, you understand why they want to go up and bite at him. You know, you can understand. Yeah. And, uh, I, I know, have you ever been in church and the preacher looked like he was sticking his stubby finger in your face? You ever have that happen? Brother David, you have people, you know, and they even come out and they want to be, they want to be nice, but yet they want to let you know. They'll say, you know, you stepped on my feet today. The best answer? Praise God. Because hmm. what? That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be arousing conviction. Stephen did. Is your life, is my life, arousing conviction? Do people want to hear more about Jesus because of the message that you are living, living out? Susie? You're a prayer warrior. And I guarantee you people here know you are a prayer warrior. When you pray, I hear you ringing heaven. That's not to say, okay, ooh, no, that's not it. I talked to the Father. You and that's exactly it. Charles, you like to talk about Christ to people, no matter where you go. I love that. I love that. We need to do that more, don't we? See, here's a man, he has advertising, man. He can advertise all kinds of stuff, can't you? He's a good one, too. Yeah, he is. Very good. 
But we ought to be an advertisement all the time, right? Isn't it great to be in the ministry, Ray? Amen. Amen. My sister talked about you teaching Sunday school in her class, you know. I think they really liked you. It was fun. It was fun, yeah. You were the king among all those queens, right? Yeah. Patrick, this guy is a, a CPA. CPA. A good one. He does my taxes for me. Good guy. Wonderful young fellow. And guess what? I know he loves Jesus. And he has left some jobs because he couldn't agree with their ethics. Because he's a Christian. He said, I can't do some of those things. I won't do those things. That's commendable. A young man doing that? Where he could stay there and have a comfortable job. Just stay there. Just do his job and go home. He said, I can't do those things. That's relevant Christianity. That's relevant Christianity. That's what we ought to be doing, isn't it? That's what Stephen did. That's what that first church did. We saw in, in Acts 4. Isn't that what we saw? But what is the real reason behind us not doing like these ones we just saw, these few servants? Give me a one nutshell kind of response. What is it? What is the one thing? And we're lacking. Disobedience. That's it. Disobedient. Disobedient. Have you ever had any Billy Goat Christians come to you, Brother David? <laughs> when you come into the Word of God and you're counseling somebody, I know about... I don't give them band-aids. I'm going to give them the truth. So if you don't want my counsel, don't come to me because I'm going to give it from the Word and the Holy Spirit's guidance. But they'll say this. I know that, but... <laughs> Billy Go Christians. They're bucking it. So yeah, they're willing to be disobedient. Did Jesus, did the Word of God say that He wanted to have sacrifices made and do all those kind of things and that would make them spiritual? No, he said what he wanted is them to obey. Obey. I might not, and you might not fully understand everything God has to say here. But I need to practice what he says here. Like Brother Andy says, we say to God, help me to love that person. <laughs> and God will answer that prayer. He'll put some of the most unlovely people in your path. <laughs> so what? You can show the love of Christ. Be obedient, not disobedient. Joy. Gifts of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace. Peace. A peace that says, Paul says, that passes all understanding. Human comprehension doesn't fit it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That requires obedience, doesn't it? Any other things that stand out? Patrick, what were you going to say? Discomfort. I think we're so afraid yeah. as a whole, at least in the U.S., that mm -hmm. yep. any little discomfort. We don't want discomfort. No. We don't want any discomfort. We, we don't want a briar under our saddle. We're not, we're, we're not 
Yeah, we're not patient. That's right. We are not patient today. We don't want to exhibit that, do we? Be patient with people. You have those people that just rub you the wrong way. You have any people like that? They go against the green? And God's saying, be patient with them. Be understanding with them. And you go, I don't want to. He didn't ask you if you wanted to. He didn't ask you that, did he? Can you imagine having 12 idiots that you have to deal with for three and a half years? Jesus did, didn't he? Huh? Didn't he? Did they get it? Guess what? Neither do we. <laughs> Patience. Well, I pray that these two sessions have whet your appetite for the final one. But because of my health issue, we're, we're spasmodic here. Like next week, huh? Like your heart. Yeah, like my heart. Uh, next week is home fellowships. So we will meet the 18th. So invite other people back because I'm going to bring out all the guns. All the guns. If you thought I had some guns out, I'm going to have more guns out on the last one because what we're going to look at, and the final one is from 1 Corinthians 9 will be my base pa passage, 19 through 23. And we're going to look at the solution to relevant Christianity. And there's some things here that I've learned from this book that are biblical that I want to share. And then some things I believe you'll see right there in the text that we're going to use, Acts 9, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 9. So hopefully this has been good for you, and thank you for responding. And uh, let's have prayer, and we'll close for tonight. Father, we stand in awe of you. You are an awesome God. You are a God who is worthy of praise. And Lord, we thank you that you have made us to be more than we could have ever been. We love you tonight. We love you because you demonstrated what love's really all about. When you died on the cross, you forgave each of us of our sin, past, present, future. Thank you that you didn't stay dead, but you arised again from the dead. You arose from the dead, and you lived victoriously. And your word tells us, but because of that, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guide us as we go our separate ways. Glorify yourself through us. For it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray.